Okay, so I, I, I do believe that the Lord wants to do something specific tonight. I'm going to go kind of quick. There's no clock countdown. Yes. Um, I, I, it's Wednesday. We're good. But I do believe he does want to do something specific. If you remember the last time I preached, the last two times, uh, the Lord dealt with a specific thought process the last time I taught. And I do almost want to trace those steps because it's important uh, to where I believe we are going. Okay, so you have, like I said, I was in 1 Samuel. I've been in 1 Samuel for about six months now. And we have the story of Saul. Saul, his father, loses his donkeys. Right? We're all aware of that. He goes searching for the donkeys, and he comes face to face with Samuel. Samuel says, hey, listen, the people of Israel want a king. And you know what? God has called you to be king. Samuel's like, who, me, what? And this whole process, the first time I taught, was all about Samuel or Saul changing his mindset. How many of you know you can think like a king, you can think like a son, you can think like a daughter, or you think like a servant. You think like a slave, you think like an orphan. There is no in-between. You either think like a servant or you either think like a son. And this whole process that we have with the story of Saul in this moment was like, hey, Saul, I need you to understand something. You're no longer a little servant boy. You're no longer running errands. You're the king of Israel. I need you to start thinking like a king. And so he positioned Saul and all he did, all of these different encounters so that he could learn, okay, I have to actually think like a king because it's, it's imperative for me to step into the God destiny for my life thinking like I need to be thinking because I'll end up sabotaging my life if I don't. And we get to this monumental moment in Saul's life where he's about to be announced king to all of Israel. Are you following me? He's announcing king to all of Israel, and the scripture says that he's hiding with the servants or he's hiding with the baggage, the luggage. And that really speaks to me in that moment. I say, oh my God, you're still entertaining a servant mentality. You do not belong with the luggage anymore. You're the king of Israel. You're called to be out front, in front of your people. And he's entertaining the servant mentality. And I say that because I, that was more of a prophecy for my life because of where God was taking me was into this process of radically, reach, uh, you know, radically redefining thought processes for my life. I can no longer think like a servant. We can no longer think like slaves. We can no longer think like servants. And Pastor Tina, you know, addressed it. This is all about issues of identity, right? This, you know, I was saved by grace through faith. And now this process of uh, sanctification is happening in our lives. We're, you know, not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our mind. What are we transforming? Our mind, our thought process. We're going from thinking like a servant to thinking like a son. That's, that's, Christianity here, so that we can live the life that has been made available to us. So last time I actually taught, fast forward a little bit, are we good? The last time I taught was just all about this one specific thought process that I wanted to deal with. You know, and I talked about, you know, I was in the season where I'm trying to move my life forward and I keep hitting a brick wall and I keep hitting a brick wall and despair and disappointment starting to set in. And I went to Pastor Ian and I allowed wisdom to speak into my life. And the next thing I knew, you know, Pastor Ian asked me what what's going on? And I said, I, I, I'm waiting on God to pick me. Do you remember that? If you were here, I'm waiting on God to pick me. And he responded to me and he said, no, wait, Caleb, God is waiting on you. And I remember being so angry in that moment. I go home and I, you know, I spend time with the Lord and I'm trying to convince God in prayer. My whole Christianity has been defined around this idea that I've got to convince God to move on my behalf. Right, I'm trying to convince God I'm in, in prayer in this moment. He stops me, and he says, why are you trying to convince me? I chose you. There's no reason to persuade me. There's no reason to convince me. I chose you. 
right? And so I'm sitting there, and I realize he takes me into this vision in that time of prayer, not a vision, but I kind of had this scenario open up where people are being picked, and I'm the last one to be picked. And I realize that I won't even pick myself. So here I am waiting on God to pick me to say, hey, Caleb, you can go live your life now. Hey, Caleb, you can go live out the fullness of everything that I've called. Hey, Caleb, you can go do your destiny. Hey, Caleb, whatever that is, whatever, you know, I was entertaining, I was all predicated on this idea. I'm waiting for God to pick me. But the real problem was, is I wouldn't even choose myself. That was the real problem. I wouldn't even pick myself. And we kind of, I I stopped at this moment. I said, we can go left or we can go right. And in the going right, I talked about what does it actually look like to choose yourself. And we touched on Matthew 17. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus looks at Peter, James, and John, and he says, you three, we're going to the top of the mountain. I misspoke last time. I went back and listened to my message. I misspoke, and I said I always was challenged by this passage because it always put a deep-rooted, it always put fear on the inside of me. It never put fear in me. It only revealed the fear that was already inside of me. And so I always had problems with this passage. And I always had problems with this passage, which is right, because it revealed fear that was already inside of me because my whole life had been driven by, wait, wait, what what do you mean you're picking Peter, James, and John? Because by default, picking Peter, James, and John, you leave the other nine left out. And what if I don't get picked? Like, whoa. Whoa. That like turns my life upside down because being picked is where I drew value. Being picked is where I found worth. Being picked, and now you're telling me, like I'm sitting there thinking, like God, I know you're no respecter of person. I know that these people, who the, the nine disciples who are not called to the top of the mountain still have, I said it last time, the capacity, the fullness of receiving your love and living still a significant life. And it didn't ever, I was never able to understand that. Like, how can you live a significant life if you don't get picked? You got to do everything you can. You better go and grab Peter, James, and John and drag them by the back of their neck and get them down and you get to the top of the mountain. That has been the, the, the thought process of my entire life. And I knew that was the thought process of a servant. That was the thought process of a slave. Because there isn't limited amount of success in life. There isn't limited amount of significance in life. You have. That's like me saying here that I'm going to live a more significant life because I'm preaching to you because now you're going to live a less significant life because you're not up here preaching. (laughs) Absolutely not. So this whole thought process that we're entertaining or that God I felt like wanted to deal with last time was this idea that I'm waiting on God to pick me. I'm waiting on God to pick me. And the Lord brought me back, and I want to kind of backtrack because this is where I want to go tonight, and we're going to be, we're going to be quick because I believe that the Lord wants to do something. The altars are going to be open up afterwards if this is resonating with you. If Jesus was physically standing next to me in the natural, I feel like he would be standing here with a, a tub of water. I, I say that because what I feel like the Lord wants to do tonight is he wants to wash our feet. He wants to wash our feet. And I, you know, in the, the parable or the, the portion of scripture in um, the Last Supper in the gospel, right? Uh, Jesus starts and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, absolutely not. I think it's John 3, 18, and Jesus responds to Peter, and he says, unless I wash you, you have no place in me. Unless I wash you, you have no place in me. 
I don't know if how you relate to this, but how does your heart respond? How does your heart respond whenever you hear that Jesus wants to wash your feet? Because I know for me, and I know for other people that I've talked to, my life has been always centered around washing his feet. I'll do whatever it takes for you, man. I'll go to the ends of the earth. I'll lose my life. I love you. Let me serve you. Let me serve you. Let me serve you. And I think this is a lot of what Peter was experiencing in this moment. Wait, no, you're not washing my feet. I'm called to wash your feet. And Jesus is saying, unless you allow me to wash you, you have no place in me. And I say that because I realized, like, in my life that I was waiting on God to pick me. But the issue was I would never pick myself. And the reason why I would never pick myself is I never felt worthy enough to be picked. You know, Pastor Alex has been doing an incredible job on ministering about this idea of performances. And performances robs you of the grace that's available to you. It's the antithesis to the gospel. Performancism says that I have to do something to earn what has been freely given to me. And I, I, the longest time, I would never pick myself because I never felt worthy enough to be picked. So my life, literally like a drug addict, would go from one measure of performance to trying to achieve a level of success, and that level of success was no longer good enough, so I had to go to another level of performance to achieve another level of success. And it kept going and going and going until I realized I can't do this anymore. Let me sabotage my life and book it and move to Fort Erie. <laughs> best, best move I ever made. But here's the deal. When the Lord taught me, brought me back to Samuel and I, and I made my message kind of centered around this thought process that Samuel was still thinking like a servant. And he went and hid with the luggage. That's not the issue. It is the issue, but it's not the issue. The Lord actually directed me what the real issue is. The real issue could be seen of just a few passages before. And when Saul says to Samuel, or when Samuel says to Saul, you're called to be the next king of Israel, Saul's response is the issue, is the real issue. His response is, who, me? Am I not from the lowliest of all low tribes of Israel, am I not just a Benjamite? Saul's real issue was how he saw himself. Because right there in that moment, he did not feel worthy to be king of Israel. Are you following me? I remember uh, uh, we were going to, I think me, Alex, and Pastor Mike, we were going over to, to the tabernacle to uh, do this kind of monthly meeting and hear Bishop Tommy Reed speak, or it was just me and Pastor, and we were driving over, and uh, we were running late because of me, obviously. Um, we were running late, and I remember thinking, like, because we were running late, I didn't have a chance to grab coffee on the way out, and I really needed coffee because I was up all night, obviously, studying the Word of God. <laughs> and... I, I didn't want to say anything to Pastor Ian. Am I making sense so far? Are we okay? I know I went fast. I went fast because I thought it was going to be a countdown. And Yeah. Are we good? Honestly, interrupt me if we're not. Um, like, freedom is so good, y'all. Like, being up here and being able to be free and not worry about preaching a good message, but understanding that if I could just release, and that's what tonight is. I'm not teaching you anything. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to expose something. 
and I'm going to release whatever the Lord wants to do, and there's breakthrough here tonight. But, you know, going from being up here and being like, oh, this message is all about me, to now just being this seriously. It's, freedom is real. That's all I'm saying. Freedom is real. But we are going to grab a cup of coffee. And, no, we're going to the, over to the States, and I needed a cup of coffee, and we were running late. And then I'm sitting there kind of like, like is he going to stop? Like, come on, like, stop. And he looks at me, he says, you want to get a cup of coffee? I said, yes. <laughs> I thought you would never ask. And he gave me this side glance. And I didn't think much of it, but when we were sitting listening to Bishop talk, it like just popped up in my head, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, what was that look about? And we, we everything was good, grabbed our coffee, went over, listened to Bishop, and we grabbed lunch afterwards. And I think we saw Mike there that afternoon. We saw lunch afterwards, and I was talking to the pastor about everything kind of going on in my life. And I'm saying, this is, these are the issues, uh, X finances, uh, blah, 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 blah. These are all the issues in my life. And this is why my life is not going according to my plan. And then pastor looked at me and said, you know what your real issue is? And I said, what? He says, you don't believe that you're worth a cup of coffee. He said, you have no problem sacrificing for other people. But when it comes for people to sacrifice for you, you don't believe you're worth it. I didn't actually believe that I was worthy to be an inconvenience for us to stop to grab a cup of coffee. How do you think that translates between my relation with the Lord? Yeah. You want to wash my feet? Come on. I'm not worthy. And it's the antithesis to the gospel, and it clearly, uh, clearly reveals that I don't understand what was accomplished to me that day on the cross. How do you know? How you know, my interaction with my spiritual father is going to reveal a lot about my interaction with my heavenly father. A lot. And if I can be honest with you tonight, this issue of self-worth has been probably the biggest mountain I've had to face in the three and a half years that I've been at Victory. I've never felt worthy enough. And I remember thinking to Pastor Ian in that moment, I said, I have done nothing. I've done nothing to prove to you that I'm worthy for it to be an inconvenience. I've done nothing. And everything in me wanted me to climb Mount Everest for you. That was honestly my heart's response. Let me do something for you to prove that I'm worthy of a cup of coffee, that I'm worthy to be an inconvenience. Let me do something. How do you think this plays out with my relationship with the Lord? Caleb, here's your breakthrough that you've been asking. No, God, hold on. Let me prove to you that I'm worthy for this breakthrough. Just hold right there. Hey, Caleb, here's your healing that you've been asking for. Readily available for you. Take it. Hold on, God. Let me prove to you that I'm worth it. Let me go pray more. Let me go, let me go minister more. Let me go read more. Let me do something. And all of those things are not bad in and of themselves. They're good. But when I think that I deserve based on what I do, it's the antithesis to the gospel, and it completely undermines everything that was available in purchase that day on Calvary. Everything. Hold on, Caleb. No, here, Caleb. Hold on, Lord. That was my relationship with the Lord. And I'm wondering why my life won't move forward. <laughs> and it's this issue of self-worth. Because it's the love tree. 
is significance. And if there is one thing I've always personally feared in my life, it's not, it's this, this, this idea of living an insignificant life. Thanks. Sorry, I didn't mean that like. That was a cue. <laughs> Sorry. Subtle cue. That's the thought process that I feel like, listen, for us to step into, listen, we're in a new place. We're in a new season. We're going to new places, right? God has a calling on your life. Yeah, sure, it's predicated you on picking yourself, choosing yourself. How do you choose yourself? You choose yourself by taking responsibility for your life. You quit making excuses. We talked about that last time. Listen, I am more convinced than ever before that failure does not destroy your God dream. And you know what? The lack of finances does not destroy the God dream. Mistakes does not destroy your God dream. We say that it does, and the only reason why we say that it does is because it's a self-protection mechanism to keep us from actually facing the real issue. And the real issue is that I have yet to take responsibility for my life, and it's the excuses that I'm making that's killing the God dream for me that's not the issue just like we said it solves the issue of sitting going back and hiding behind the luggage that was not the issue the issue was how he saw himself the issue was a self-worth issue and if you feel like you are not worthy enough to have your feet washed by the Father, then that is the thinking of a servant. That is the thinking of an orphan. And it stops tonight. It stops tonight. About a year ago, I listened to a TED Talk. Does everybody know what a TED Talk is? The model of a TED Talk is just uh, TED Taco. TED Talk is just uh, spreading great ideas. I listened to a TED talk about a year ago and it came up in prayer about three months ago and I've been kind of mulling over it uh, since then and I actually listened to a message I think last week and that TED talk was brought up and I, it, it got my attention. And the TED talk is called The Art of Vulnerability because I wanna know what is the antidote to self-worth issues. And this TED talk, the woman, her name is Brene Brown. She's a social scientist. She has three PhDs. She is kind of held as kind of the, the standard in her field of study. Her research goes far beyond anybody else's. Interesting enough, as I explained this, before she started this research, she wasn't a Christian. After she finished, she became a Christian. She got saved. She took thousands and thousands of people and interviewed them, a series of questions. And she said that after interviewing hundreds of thousands of people, think she took six years just doing this. She said that the one common thread, no matter what your race, religion, ethnicity, background, rich, poor, white, black, whatever you are, she said that the one common trend, the common denominator that ran through all of us was this innate desire to belong. This innate desire for connection. And she said, if we all desire connection, she goes and studies this group of people for another six years. What is the enemy to connection? Her research revealed that the enemy to connection, the thing that we all desire, is shame. Shame is the greatest enemy to what you desire most in life. Connection, intimacy, relationship. And she says shame, she said conviction is I feel bad because I know I did something wrong. Shame is I feel bad because I am something wrong. I'm broken. And she said, when it comes to connection in an environment, 
She says that whatever the culture or whatever the, the environment values, you fear that you are not. So when I walk into the church for the first time and I see that this culture values family, this culture values relationship, I automatically feel out of the shame that we've all experienced shame that I am not capable of being part of this family. Take it to the NFL. The NFL is an environment that values good, perform good performance. I can tell you from the day one that I stepped into that environment, I feared that I was not worthy or not capable of a good performance. So you, as an, you always fear what the environment value. Saul, this environment valued a king and all of the traits of a good king. Immediately, Saul feared that he was not capable to being a king because of his self-worth issue. And that resulted, because when you allow shame into your life, she says through her study, it results in an isolated life. And the isolated life leads to death. But she goes on in her study and she takes the people who dealt with shame. And she broke for another six years, studied the people who dealt with shame. And she broke it up in two categories throughout her study. And she said half the people stayed in shame. The other half left shame. And she's studying and she says, what breaks the power of shame? You desire connection, shame robs you of connection. You desire intimacy, shame robs you of it because you fear that you are not what they value. And so she said, what actually enables a person to leave shame? She said, vulnerability breaks the power of shame. Vulnerability is the one common thread amongst all the people who left and walked out of shame. Shame is not who you are. It has no power over you. And these people left shame. And she said the one thing that they all did was they possessed a measure of vulnerability. Interesting enough, she says that, you know, that whenever people are dealing with shame, you cannot numb, you cannot be selective in numbing emotions. Because what happens is when you're dealing with shame and you isolate yourself, you try to numb the pain and you numb the shame, but what you're also doing is you're numbing your joy, you're numbing your happiness, you're numbing all of the positive emotions and you wonder why you're just existing. So she says, connection, shame. What breaks the power of shame? Vulnerability. And so she studied for another six years. She just released all of her work just recently. She has a few books, I highly recommend her. She's from the University of Texas, a professor, so, professor social scientist. And she said, what enable people to break free from shame or possess a measure of vulnerability? And she said, everybody who was willing to be vulnerable had a sense of self-worth. She says, you are never going to allow someone to love you more than you love yourself. You are never going to allow someone to love you more than you love yourself because you're afraid. If they get to the point where they love you more, you're afraid of being exposed as a person who doesn't have what they value. And that shame tries to isolate you. You try to numb that isolation and you're left with a lifeless life. This cycle 
Here is Saul, afraid he does not have what it takes to be the king of Israel, and that shame sets in and he isolates himself and he reverts back to that servant mentality person. That, that, that sense of self-worth is what allows you to be vulnerable, which breaks the power of shame, which leads you to intimacy. If I'm not going to allow myself to be loved by anyone more than I love myself, how does that affect my relationship with the Father? I'm literally resisting him, and I'm crying out simultaneously, where are you? You know what we do, the, 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 the sad part? Is we say we tried prayer, it didn't work. We tried church and it didn't work. I tried having an intimate relationship with the Father, it didn't work. And it has nothing to do with any of those things. They are not wrong. It all stems back to how do I see myself? Am I worthy tonight for him to wash my feet? Not based because of anything that I've done. This is a radical transformation of thinking. He's calling each and every one of us corporately, individually, to live out a great life, a destiny that can affect the masses, if not affect the ones. They're just as important. And to leave a legacy that you can, you know, have that goes from generation to generation. That's the, the value of your life. And as long as we think that we have to do, we got to pray more. That's good. Pray more. We got to worship harder. That's really good. Worship harder. We got to study more, study more. But don't for one second think that that is the reason why you are highly valued. Not for one second, because like I said, it is the antithesis to the gospel. Think about this. You are on trial. The wages of sin is death. You are on trial. The jury has come to a conclusion. They're about to, re they're about to announce the verdict. and the doors of the courtroom open up, you're sentenced, you're about to be sentenced to death. To death. Let's get real. You're dying this afternoon. And Jesus walks in and he says, Caleb, you're free, go home. I'm gonna take your place tonight. And I would like to think that my response would be, yeah, sure, okay, thank you. But if my response to the Lord is hold on while you got my breakthrough, let me go prove to you that I'm worthy enough to receive this breakthrough. I am a fool to say, hold on, God, hold on, Jesus, stay right there. Let me prove to you that I'm worthy enough for you to take my life off of the death penalty. And I feel like tonight, I, I, I'm done with this, but it's this thought process that says, I'm not worthy to receive what he has for me. I'm not worthy to live out the life that he has for me. And all we do is we walk around the same mountain because we try to convince ourselves and we're trying to convince the world around us that we are worthy. Look at me now. Look at the good things that I've done, which are great. But I'm here tonight speaking on behalf of the Father that you are deeply loved. You are worthy to be loved. 
so worthy to live out the life that he has made available to you. And there is nothing that you have to do. This is all what it is. This is an issue of identity. Do I really know that I am the son of a God who paved the way for me? Do I really know that Jesus, a man who knew no sin, became sin so that I can become righteous, so that I can step into the holies of holies and embrace and, and encounter the presence of God so that I can be transformed? Do I really believe that? You know, Blake Healy over the conference when we were here, he gave us, he, he commissioned, he, he dared us. I dare you to believe he's that good. I stood on this front row weeping, weeping, because I could not actually dare to believe he was that good because I did nothing to prove to him that I was worthy of him being that good. And it robs us. It robs us of everything that was available to us right here, right now. You're worthy. Will you let him wash your feet? He wants to serve you tonight. He wants to serve us tonight, personally and corporately, because you're so worth it. You're so worth it. So how about we just stand to our feet? tributary and the hands of the Lord were on either side of the boat and God was guiding that boat through a wide open space and this is what he said he said I'm taking you to a new place and the new place is a place of my embrace and the place of my embrace is a place of grace and the place of grace is the place of great faith. Faith is connected to allowing ourselves to receive the embrace of God. And we're gonna do, I feel like the Lord wants us to do two things tonight. Shame comes in from trauma where the enemy tries to come in and set things up. It's all a setup. So that we, like Caleb said, we, we come to the place where we, we no longer feel worthy of the Lord. And so if, if this message is ministered to you tonight, if there's a witness in your heart tonight, 
And every one of us can say that. I remember there was a time even in my life where I was, I just shared it just this week where I was spending time with the Lord and all of a sudden I'm watching this vision out in front of me and this cloak falls off of me. And the Lord said to me, do you want to know what that was? And he said, that is the cloak of unworthiness. And so, Father, we just welcome you in this place tonight in the name of Jesus. I believe at the beginning of service, the Lord had us to ready ourselves in that position to receive this message. We're ready to receive to allow Holy Spirit to come in. There's times where when it comes to issues of identity and issues of sonship, it's not necessarily a matter of the removal of certain things, but it's the entry. It's the al allowing ourselves to receive the truth of what God's saying that, that we're loved, that His embrace, His arms are wrapped around us. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in the name of Jesus tonight, as each one of us, Lord, that would say that this message has ministered to our hearts, we invite you in, in the name of Jesus, to come, every single one of us, Lord, and, and we ask, God, that you would come into that place, Lord, where trauma opened the door to the enemy and allowed us, God, to be exposed to the lie of shame that caused us, Lord, to do what Caleb talked about tonight, and that is to isolate ourselves and go down that road where we could never actually accomplish what you've called us to and never actually experience the love of the Father. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would come in the name of Jesus. And I want to say, you know, when you come to the altar, as you feel like this message is, has ministered to you tonight, what you're saying is, I'm allowing myself to step into the embrace of God. As you leave behind, you leave your seat and you allow Holy Spirit to come and to heal that trauma. Whatever it was, you know, sometimes it doesn't really matter what it was. We just welcome Holy Spirit. We welcome Him into that situation and we step away with it from it. And as you're leaving your seat tonight, as you desire the impartation that, that Caleb is talking about tonight, and you desire him to pray for you, it's really important that when you walk away from your seat, you realize prophetically that you're walking away in the name of Jesus, and you're stepping into the embrace of God. You're stepping into the embrace of God, and you're allowing him to deal with whatever he needs to deal with, and you're asking him to come and just fill you. Just embrace you. Just fill your life with grace to do whatever it is that he wants you to do, even if it looks like loving you. See, we can't love others if we don't love ourselves. And so if that's you tonight, we're just going to open up the altars. You're leaving something behind and you're stepping towards God. You're leaving something behind and you're not trusting in yourself anymore. It's a prophetic demonstration that I'm not trusting in me, I'm trusting in you, God. And whatever it is, you know, when you go through things, there's an impartation. There's something that happens inside of us. And there is an exchange. And the Bible says what we have received, we freely give. What we have received, we freely give. Caleb has received a breakthrough. He's received a breakthrough. He's stepped into the embrace of God. And that grace is now there, as he said, freedom is sweet. 
It's easy and it's sweet. And so we're just going to open up the altars. We're just going to open up the altars. Hallelujah. And you can come. You can come in the name of Jesus. Come in the name of Jesus. Come in the name of Jesus. Step away and towards all that God has. Step away and step towards. Step away and step towards. Coming with that heart that's ready to receive. Coming in the name of Jesus with that heart that's ready to receive, that desires to be filled, that desires maybe for the first time to know the love of God, to experience the love of God, not based off of what Caleb said tonight, what you've done or what you haven't done, but just desiring to experience the loving embrace of your heavenly Father. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you in the name of Jesus to come and to crash into this place. Come on, put yourself in a position to receive his love. Put yourself in a position just to receive his love. Hallelujah, tonight we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to crash into this place in the name of Jesus. We declare, Lord, as we step forward that we want to know you, that we want to know you, that we want to experience, Lord, your love. We want to experience, God, the fullness of a life of grace, Lord. Not a life, God, that's based off of performance, God, what we've done right, Lord. And if we do everything right, then we succeed. Lord, we step away from all of that tonight towards your grace. Where it's you and only you, God. Where it's you and only you. Where it's stepping towards a God who is willing. A God who is willing. A God who is willing. A God who forgives and forgets. Some of you need to do tonight. You need to just forgive yourself. Just let it go. God says, just let it go. Forgive yourself. He's not holding your sin against you. He wants to love you. He wants to love you. He wants to love you. He wants you to feel his arms around you. He wants you to experience his grace, his empowerment, his ability. He wants to release tonight upon you creativity and new ideas in the name of Jesus. We're letting it go. We're letting it go. We're stepping away and we're stepping towards. We're, we're letting it go in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 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 He said, the place of my embrace is a place of grace. It's a place of grace. And it's a place of great faith. Holy Spirit, come in the name of Jesus. Come and fill. Come and fill in Jesus' name every heart.